Your support helps us bring fresh voices, new voices, and credible voices. Support Mind Podcast by clicking on support the Mind Podcast link on mind.net. You can also write to us at info at mind.net about any other way you would like to support Mindmakers. Hello, hello, hello. Uh, welcome to this new edition of Mind Podcast. This is Adat Kapadia and together with me is, uh, I was going to say hi and dry Sunanda Vashish, but let's just go with dry Sunanda Vashish. I'm, I'm actually hi also, <laughs> yes. with, uh, on my cup of chai. On, on your cup of chai. Our, our listeners usually know that I always sit in the podcast with my cup of chai and that explains the exuberance. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that is the only thing that, that explains is the that. only thing. Okay. That, 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 that's excellent. And uh, as we promised to our listeners, we have uh, a guest this podcast uh, after two weeks. Uh, our apologies. Last two weeks, we'd been affected by Hurricane Harvey. So it was very difficult to schedule. But uh, I'm very pleased to have um, award-winning Indian journalist, author and entrepreneur, Hindol Sen Gupta. He's uh, an author of um, eight books and um, the most recent one being... Uh, uh, the Sacred Sword, The Legend of Guru Gobind Singh. I have a lot of questions to ask to him about that. Um, the other ones being being Hindu, uh, New World and Modern Monk on Vivekananda and many more. Um, he was also selected as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum in 2017. And um, he's editor at large at Fortune India. And right now he happens to be on our side of the world. Yes. So welcome to Mind Podcast, Hindol. It's great to have you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I'm very pleased to join you all. Uh, as you just mentioned, I am is a fellow at Columbia University, so I live in New York now. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm delighted. I've heard so much about both your work and I'm very happy to be part of this. I know. I am going to start with the most profound question ever, Indole. How does one write eight books before you turn 40? <laughs> and we are going to let the snide remark about under 40 just pass by or something. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> well, they say 40 is the new 20. What is but look, I mean, P.G. Woodhouse wrote, what, 100 books? More than that? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, I mean, there have been prolific people. I, I put it down to the fact that... Um, um, let, me, let me give you a, actually a, a slightly more... Sort of um, answer to that. I think I began out not thinking that I would write this many books, mm-hmm. but I think what happened in India compelled me to write. I would have not written a book called Being Hindu if I did not feel that in India the way we were approaching Hinduism had extremely problematic issues in it, mm-hmm. and I, I thought I had to give a response. I wouldn't have written The Modern Monk on Vivekananda unless one day I saw this appalling, um, you know, lecture by so-called professor, which was essentially full of lies about Vivekananda. And I really promised to myself that I would respond. Uh, Guru Gobind Singh, again, a classic example. Mm. We'll talk about it in more detail. I really believe India's sense of history has been destroyed one by one. We have been the greatest thing that a civilization and a people can lose are its sense of heroes. And that is what has happened to India. We have been we have been deprived, our heroes have been stolen away from us. Mm. Like, like, you know, uh, we are bringing back our gods, so to speak, in 
in in bringing back all the stolen idols mm. we also need to in history bring back our heroes very interesting so it's almost a reclamation of heroes you know what you're saying that they were there but we need to reclaim that space but it's it's very interesting what you said that uh, you wrote a lot of books having a historical background but they were essentially a derivative of you know what your what you saw being spoken about them or misrepresented about them in contemporary india so although they uh, although they are historical books their their roots very much lie in how they are perceived in contemporary india or how they are being taught in contemporary india That's absolutely i mean of course guru gobind singh is a straight fiction it's a it's a uh, it's a historical fiction but that's also i mean almost i'm inspired by the great work done at amar chitrakuta i yeah. think some of these stories are best told as fiction right to bring them alive i mean almost everybody who's read the sacred sword has said and i've got so many messages about this that never before has history being details like this for instance my book begins with the martyrdom of guru teg bahadur right in delhi uh, where where his head is severed because he refuses to convert yeah. and um, and 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 the gruesome gory details of what happens to him and how he stands up for dharma yeah. uh, has never been told properly Absolutely. and i thought fiction was a great way to tell that story uh, no and no and and <laughs> that's this is interesting so because i was i just talking to this uh, talking to sunanda about this that historical fiction is a genre not attempted by many indian authors it's probably took off only in the last 3 4 years maybe a little longer or something and i'm a huge fan of you know historical fiction and on west you've had people like dan brown and others like taking up this genre of so, so how difficult was it because uh, do, do you ever fear that there would not be much acceptance in the indian reading class or something about historical fiction or a question that i want to say with this and then you can answer both questions together when you set out to write about guru gobind singh um and i'm sure i mean i've read the book and you've done immense amount of research did you feel by writing historical fiction you would not be taken very seriously by so called academics because you've not written a biography so how how did you think about this did this did the did the topic demand the genre or is it the other way around so two things i think i am um, not very worried about being taken seriously or not seriously anymore i used to be worried about that at some point mm-hmm. but then i realized that in the end for any artist and certainly for writers you are basically speaking to an audience and you can speak to your audience the best you can if you're truly honest to yourself you have to be honest to yourself if i were to think about what would make me sound more you know acceptable or more serious or uh, i would this be accepted by certain people i would never write a lie yeah i i you know i purposely dropped that idea and i don't think about these things anymore <laughs> my entire point about doing this um in fiction is to make it alive you see the problem in india as i see it is that history is very dry and and it's almost stale and and it doesn't come alive for us i mean we're a country where there's history in every nook and corner but india is one of the most ahistorical places in the, the world the word you're looking for is a very mundane and pedestrian word called boring history boring. is very boring exactly, the way right. it's taught i wanted us. to not make it boring i wanted yeah. to bring it alive so mm-hmm. you know you would have you would have seen in the book that the entire attempt is to bring the story alive yes. mm-hmm. make it 
speak to people. Yes. And thankfully, everybody who's read it seemed to have said that, you know, they've, they've liked the fact that it is so much, you know, so full of color and so rich. It is, it is. For someone who has never read um, uh, Sikh history, mm. um, a whole lot of Sikh history, you know, you sort of read a little <coughs> bit about Maharaja Ranjit Singh and, uh, you know, before that you read about um, uh, gurus a little mm. bit, a paragraph each here and there. And I thought this was... a phenomenal attempt into something that we did not even know even though i was born in north india mm. i i mean i can't even imagine from people from other parts of the parts of india but i had not known this um, you know khalsa and why it came into existence mm. and the courage of this man yeah and that's the great tragedy you see i mean as i was saying before uh, to you before the podcast began you see what is a nation we have had a lot of time to consider this again and again over the last decade in India and especially in the last few years, I believe a nation is not only accumulated histories and instances so to speak, but it's also a trajectory of individual courage. Mm. And when you accumulate, when you graph it so to speak, this courage, you come to a sense of a nation. Mm. Why does a nation exist? Why is it special? What makes it special? What has happened in India is that we have bifurcated, trifurcated, quadrificated and, and, and broken up all these instances of courage and made them into localized instances. Hmm. Therefore, just to simplify, I as a Bengali have no claim on Guru Govind Singh. <coughs> Vice versa, the Punjabis have nothing to do with Vivekananda and Tagore and so on and so forth. Hmm. This is a fatal mistake in India. It's a fatal mistake. Yeah. These are all Indian heroes. Right. And we must appreciate and love and admire them as Indian heroes. Shivaji belongs as much to me as, it, as he does to any Maratha. Mm. As vice versa, Subhash Chandra Bose belongs to every Maratha as he does to me mm. as, as a Bengali. Absolutely. We must jointly stake claim on Indian heroes together. But Hindu, you know where this comes from. This this is there's this is a whole I mean this is not even a conspiracy now. It is we know that it exists. This is this whole yeah. thing about how India was never India before yeah. British made us India. You know what? <clears throat> so this is where that comes from. No, and also, uh, also reducing Indian heroes to their sub-regional identities not only undermines uh, the heroes themselves, it also undermines what they stood for and what they actually represent yes. to their own, uh, uh, you know, to the people. that. And the basic idea of India, which is not compatible with the current idea of India. Exactly. <laughs> very, very interesting. Really, I'll give you an example of what you guys are saying is absolutely true and interesting Interestingly, Guru Gobind Singh himself understood this very well hmm. because at the, at, at, towards the end of the book, of my book, you know, Guru Gobind Singh is meeting Banda Bahadur, who later became Banda Bahadur, right? Yeah. Where is he meeting Banda Bahadur? He is meeting him in the Deccan, right? Mm, wow. And in the Deccan, what does, what does Guru Gobind Singh, Banda Bahadur is essentially uh, meditating in a cave and what does Guru Gobind Singh say to him? He says, how dare you sit here and just worry about your own spiritual upliftment when your brothers and sisters are being mauled and attacked throughout India, and he gives wow. example after example from the Punjab to, you know, Central India, he does not, he's not talking only about the Punjab. Right. Mm. Telling Banda Bahadur, we, your people are under attack around the country 
you must do something to save them yeah absolutely right so she understands it imagine guru gobind singh understands it hmm. but we don't in 2017 yeah i know and we are supposed to have evolved since <laughs> so very i mean i doubt that very much <laughs> <laughs> yes. i'm i'm just going by a one narrative but hold that thought i'm going to come back to you in just a second about right about this before we get to our uh, next topic um i do want to say that this is mindmakers production this mind podcast is brought to you by the mindmakers team this uh, podcast is produced and edited by adit kapadia with the help of our team in india the panelists for the um, podcast are adit kapadia pramod kumar buravalli and sunanda vashish which is me so uh, i'm uh, we were since we were talking about historical fiction now i'm not saying um, ashutosh gowarikar is the authority on historic fiction and <laughs> not that and his mohanjodaro movie was i'm uh, not that good but he he actually said a very interesting thing during the promotions of that movie that the only thing that indian kids know about mohanjodaro is like waha drainage bada acha tha and that is true like, i went back to like you know thinking back and the only thing that taught us is what the sewage system bada acha tha nothing has been taught yeah so um, okay. uh, so so it's it's what uh, why historic fiction is important is because you recreate like indol probably you face that when you were writing the sacred sword is in a sense you have to recreate that world also because you probably can't just assume that every reader knows about what was it like and stuff like that no historical fiction is also important for the simple reason that it reaches out to the maximum people out there mm-hmm. and that is what the author should do right. i mean what is the point of writing for 10 people who give awards exactly so i mean you have to write it for the maximum people i'm going before what this before the no, no, b- b- i have to uh, have one thing uh, so i watched the i used to watch the west wing a lot and there's a funny dialogue when they talk about the budget discussions he's like why should i waste my energy on 10 viewers on c span because that's how many people watch c span <laughs> that's so, true so that's that's what it is so anyways so, go on yeah so no, no i was going to say um hindol when before this break you were talking about that how we have confined our um, heroes to uh, small sector small <coughs> regions which is a very modern construct because our heroes themselves were not cons- confined to small regions and an example is that i am a kashmiri pandit and guru gobind singh's father guru teg bahadur died for my community died to save my community today in every small my mother has a small picture of guru teg bahadur and that is true for all kashmiri homes with their gods they put a little picture of guru teg bahadur we were raised like that but somehow it's lost that's a real real tragedy what you're painting the picture that you're painting is the true tragedy of india this is why india is in the place that it is today uh this is why india has not been able to fulfill its destiny till now hmm. you see guru teg bahadur as you absolutely correctly point out why did guru teg bahadur choose to get himself arrested and brought to delhi at all hmm. because guru teg bahadur made a promise to himself that he will tell the emperor if you can convert me yeah. then you can try and go and convert the kashmiri pandits but if you cannot convert me then let's have a deal that you will live there let them be hmm. He had no reason to do that. Yeah, there was no reason. Technically, if you think about it, he had no reason to do that. No. But for the fact that the Kashmiri pundits came to him and said, "We need somebody to protect us," mm. isn't it amazing that Kashmiri pundits would go to a Sikh guru? Incident 
where the father and son, Guru Gobind Singh and Teg Bahadur, are sitting together, and Guru Teg Bahadur, you know, tells his son that well, these people have come to me for for help, and Guru Gobind Singh says, tells his father, a boy, I mean, the child at that time, that who better to help them but you? Mm. Still knowing that he is essentially sending his father to his death. Yeah, and also, why would? Kashmiri pundits go to Guru Tegh Bahadur. I mean, there is no, there is no reason other than the fact that they thought of him as a hero as well or and as a savior. So him Absolutely. from being Punjab or they being from Kashmir did not matter. <laughs> Geographical boundaries did not matter even at that as time. As it shouldn't. As it shouldn't. Yeah. So, um, didn't because they saw him as a warrior who would defend them. Yes. Mm. Yes, very interesting. Very interesting. But before that, I mean, uh, this is an interesting topic, and I highly, highly recommend this book to um, all our listeners, as I do all um, Hindol's books, because he just writes amazingly. It's just fascinating the way you bring your subjects to life, Hindol. But no, I, I want to go to. I, 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 I want to add something. To yeah. some of the, but on this one, I would recommend read the Guru Gobind Singh book first, and then go back. I know. Because, go back. Yeah, you you don't want to uh, you don't want to wait to read this. This is like a real page turner. It is. Know. It is. Not that the other seven aren't, but this is probably one of my favorite books of yours. <laughs> I want to go back in time, Hindol. I want to go back in time, Hindol. You uh, you were essentially writing about public policy. Political economy, and you were just yeah, you were writing about economics and all that. So then suddenly, and you write your first three books, three or four books about that. You write the liberals, which was my first introduction to your work in 2012, where which was sort of uh, connected with me because we are all children of liberalization. So you sort of painted that picture of how liberalization, growing up in liberalization, if I may put it that way. That's right. So, from there you write, um, you know, recasting India, That's and you India. also write about. Um, I think in 2014 you wrote about who, uh, uh, how to, who to vote for when 100 things who to vote for. So yeah, those yeah, interesting right. things, and then suddenly you move into a very complex. Uh, you know, subjects of faith and identity, and then the yes. book that really put you on the center stage was being Hindu, and I believe being Hindu is now being um, published and in America as well. Um, tell us how has and you did say it in the beginning that you would not have written being Hindu had you not been pushed to it, but tell me a little bit about um, what has the reception of the book been, and were you surprised? I will tell you the story of being Hindu. Uh, being Hindu, I was told by everybody in India not to write a book called Being Hindu. I was told that if I write a book called Being Hindu, my career would be destroyed. That would be the end of it. Yes. Uh, I would not be able to probably keep the job that I have. I would probably not get another job in Indian media. And uh, there would certainly, obviously, nobody would publish it. And even if somebody publishes it, that would be the end of my writing career and my career. By the way, this was told to me not just by journalists and very senior journalists, but this was also told to me by publishers and so on. <laughs> that this would be the greatest mistake I was making. That oh dear! I cannot write a book called Being Hindu in India and hope to survive. Wow! <laughs> Imagine you should have been like, where else can I write such a book? <laughs> Being Hindu. <laughs> and each time I heard that, it convinced me even more that I must write a book called. Absolutely. Because it proved to me that all the reasons why I wanted to write a book called Hindu 
absolutely true and I wasn't imagining any of it. Mm. I wrote being Hindu because I felt that there was so much conversation about two faiths which have a billion plus followers, Christianity and Islam. But the other part of the puzzle is never considered at all, which is Hinduism, the other great faith, the oldest of them all, which has also more than a billion followers. That there are a billion followers of Hinduism. It is an open source faith. It accommodates all points of views, including atheism. Why are we not discussing it? And if we do discuss it, why are we discussing it on such narrow parameters, on such prejudiced parameters? Hmm. That's why I wrote a book called Being Hindu. Hmm. I really felt that the point has, had come, the time had come when we needed to write something to put forward the viewpoints of a billion people. Hmm. And I'm delighted to say that, you know, as Sananda mentioned, that book really has completely, you know, Jane FM changed my life. Yeah. Hundreds and hundreds of people have read it. I have heard calls and messages from around the world. It is now being published in America, where the reception, you know, already a lot of people are really excited about it. Mm. And I just feel that the time is right and people really want to talk about this. It's just that our voices have been stifled for way too long. What is phenomenal, Hindol, is that being Hindu... When I read the book, I thought it would only sort of, um, you know, be popular amongst our generation and the younger millennials because they haven't been exposed to it. Hindu is a part but, of my generation, I, FYI. So I know, no, yeah. <laughs> but he, we were just, we were just, I was fascinated that how even the so-called older people who have been around, you know, who have enjoyed the book as much as we have. So that tells exactly. you that some right. this, yeah. this is this has come as a huge surprise to me also. Mm-hmm. A lot of parents of my friends and elderly Right. I mean wherever I go to speak, at least thirty percent of the audience are elderly people. Which is amazing, you know, because I never thought that this book will appeal no, but, to but, them. But I have to tell you this, uh, we actually don't give credit as much to our Indian uh, older people about, you know, them embracing contemporary values. Yeah. They continue, this has been a, uh, this has been a thing in India every time. I wanted to say, I wanted to say ca- that is also being Hindu. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> whenever there is, because things have evolved with time. Yes. So whenever, and of course we're not saying ev- there has been a hundred percent evolution. There are a lot of things that need to evolve. But the thing is the progress is being made in right direction and Hindu's book is a very contemporary take. Very contemporary take huh. and being Hindu is really about evolving. Exactly. And so, evolution of a faith that has been around for so long and hmm. it has existed only because it has evolved hmm. consistently. That's what you that's the point you try to hmm. make in role in the book, right? Absolutely and, and that is really the key point. The Hinduism's great success is that it is consistently flexible and embraces time and again the latest so-called development in science. I mean Hinduism for instance is not, I I keep saying in my lectures, Hinduism is unafraid of two things that religion is usually afraid of. Mm. It is not afraid of science and it is not afraid of the future. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. 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 So, and third, if I may add a third, ah, please, yes. this podcast, mm-hmm. it is not afraid of the other big things that 
a religion is usually afraid of modernity right modernity. does not fear modernity at all i know and hinduism is also what you uh, appeal to hinduism has never been afraid of questions it has never been afraid of um atheism also it has never been afraid of so called people who don't have who uh, say that we don't ha- we don't belong to a religious order or to a certain faith no, and, so and, and, then and, that brings us because i think hindu no, but I, yeah. and i have to add this and this is because he's talked about guru gobind singh and the thing as well i think this is true for all indic faiths yeah i would add sikhism jainism all of that in it in growing up i i grew up a jain i'm still practicing jain we always talk we were never told not to question yeah like of course you can be disrespectful well but if you question there is always a answer to that people would always say that okay this is a very contemporary issue our scriptures don't address xyz but there is always a answer for the concept and stuff. no question is blasphemous no there is no concept like blasphemous that, that actually uh, i have to tell you this there is there is this twitter account i'm not going to dignify that person with a name they said something something about blasphemy in hinduism and quoted a scripture so mm. somebody was like what is the sanskrit word for blasphemy Can you please? I know who said that. That was Makran. Uh, no, no, Makran said it. Of, uh, Professor, Professor Makran said, well, "Give me a Hindi word." Some sort of word. But I, I don't want to dignify the account who, who, who tweeted that. So, uh, so I just thought that was very. You know, I, I mentioned in being Hindu that the Hinduism is the greatest liberating faith and philosophy because it is. It does not have two deliberating concepts. which have always been the Achilles heel of religion mm-hmm. one as you all are correctly pointing out that there is no blasphemy and there is no sin mm. there is no sin exactly if you look at the history of religion all battles are about blasphemy mm. or it's about sin yeah we're all sinners and that's how they begin well we don't even need to go further look at look at to our right and you'll see pakistan it's a state battling itself over blasphemy yeah. so i mean people are being uh, or people are being killed in the I name know. of that and so, that brings to me to a very contemporary issue and um, hindu you're a journalist you also write about you're an author but you also write about um, contemporary issues every day you are a columnist as well and you've already written about um gauri lankesh is very tragic murder on mind podcast we condemn the yeah, killing in the strongest possible in word. the strongest possible word and um all our sympathies go out to the family mm-hmm. having said oh. that um uh, hindu we are talking about being hindu and a lot of people mm-hmm. did mention that gauri could have been killed because she was a self confessed rationalist although i don't understand how rationalism and hinduism are at odds with each other but let's not talk about yeah, that i, don't I know i don't understand that but a lot of people are saying that she could have been killed because she was an atheist and this is not the mm-hmm. india we have envisioned um i personally think that uh, we don't know the reasons for her murder but we i, I personally think atheism does not kill nobody gets killed for atheism in india there's a very strong um branch of atheism very strong culture of atheism in india but then a lot of people dabolkar and kalburgi and now um uh, lankesh uh, do you think it is the atheist getting killed in india or do you think it is intolerance to their political ideology Mm. In one case, but 
Because I think in many cases like this, we don't know why they have been killed. We don't know who has been killed, uh, who has killed them, right? So therefore, I think people like me are pushing to say that's where we should put our effort. Let us ascertain the truth, right? I would like to know clearly from an authoritative source, which is the police, why was Gauri Lankesh killed and who killed her? Coming to the question of atheism, there might be. people who might have some strong opinion about atheism mm. however in my entire life in india i have never met a single person not a single hindu who has ever had a problem with atheism mm. it's just not there in our culture no, we don't have a problem with atheism so i find it difficult to believe that somebody would kill gauri lankesh because she was an atheist mm. to be honest but and i want to uh, i want you guys to come to two specific aspects uh, where um, uh, about about this the the first was troubling was of course i mean first of all the murder was ghastly dastardly i did not like that the news channels were splashing pictures of the body no, that is yeah, something that they shouldn't terrible. have done that is i mean of course but the second thing was also um, that news channel uh, news uh, I, i mean editors turning into detectives and giving their reasons about this thing and the second thing i found was troubling was that anand ranganathan actually had a list of 23 journalists that were uh, killed but and when they told actually in his um, no, no, blog but, he mentioned two journalists and uh, he said many more but he specifically mentioned two journalists uh, who had been killed in most gory fashion but there was no prime no, time debate about it i am saying that when they also talk about pre past journalists or rationalists being killed they only talk about pansare kalburgi dabolkar why were none of these 23 journalists is also mentioned isn't isn't aren't the news channel or the editors also pushing an agenda that they will only talk about these four people who are ostensibly on the left but they will not talk about the other 19 because they were not uh, really on the left or right or they don't know so yeah. what do you think about that hindol i think this is a fundamental problem of india hmm. and i was you know pleased to see that one day after i wrote my piece i mean i'm not saying it's triggered by my piece but clearly it has been occurring to other people also journalists in assam raised the same issue yeah. and yes. they said for years journalists have been killed in assam yeah. you know because of the ulfa issue and all sorts of issues and nobody cared yeah suddenly because gauri lankesh had many friends in india's top among india's top editors and she had worked with them and you know mm. had similar viewpoints with from them with them and so on and so forth mm. everybody made it this a big deal i'm not saying it's not a big deal but mm. i'm saying the death of a journalist or death of any person why just a journalist mm. a murder of any person is equally important Absolutely. i would it be that only one person's murder is really important and everybody else should be forgotten Yeah. and there is also this is a very worrying trend that you know people say who don't agree with xyz's views or people are being killed over their views which is very disturbing very worrying But very worrying very worrying and in karnataka especially the last 3 4 years this has been like very i mean the trends you also hear about abvp activists you hear about multiple things the law and order in karnataka has deteriorated massively under sidramaiya so the thing is i mean india is having an extremely protracted and difficult transition into modernity so to speak yeah but i mean i understand that after 25 years of liberalization hmm. essentially the indian elite the haves and the have nots are now face to face hmm. you see for the longest time the have nots were tucked away somewhere Yeah. So to speak, right? Yeah, yeah. And by have not, I I don't even mean just intellectual, uh, just material have not, but even intellectual have not. Mm. 
Now, basically, everybody wants a share of the pie. Yeah, yeah. You, I was just about to say piece of the pie, and yeah, everybody wants a piece of the pie, and mm-hmm. that collision is happening. You're seeing with the, you know, in Noida, there was this piece where uh, a lot of, you know, sort of domestic labor. Passed into a, a, a society apartment, and huh. there was some issue. So you are seeing it again and again. So there will be a lot of turmoil before all of this settles in. Mm-hmm. I think we have to be extremely careful because if this starts to become a trend that mm-hmm. I don't like your opinion, so I will kill. Mm-hmm. Right? It will go out of control. We have seen how what has happened in Pakistan. Yeah, the, the last thing is we want to you know we 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 don't want to emulate the countries we don't we are not or we absolutely detest you know the ideologies that we detest. Yeah. So, so hold that thought. I want to expand that quickly and then we'll talk a little bit about Swami Vivekananda also in the the last part, but a little bit more about the current affairs thing. Yeah, so I I found this um, uh, this this very bizarre that you know people were. Um, journalists there are some journalists who were talking about just one aspect of it and stuff and not addressing the core issue that the media fritter it's it's not one one incident or something if you look at it that way uh, there are 23 other incidents but they are only looking at four incidents out of those 23 so and this this is also a worrying trend i think and all because if journalists are only going to cover uh, uh, bad things that happen to people of their ideology uh, uh, you know what is the way forward is it is it now uh, reporting on this also going to turn ideological <laughs> See, I mean, one of the reasons I have really stepped away from a lot of the day, everyday battles is that I think in India, the we are taking the conversation to an extremely, you know, intellectually bereft and shallow level. I mean, mm. I think we've already taken it there, mm. and I think at that level, everything is prejudice. All arguments are prejudice. Mm. Everything is bitterness. Everything is a quarrel. Mm. That doesn't help our cause. Mm. I think. Uh, definitely senior journalists have to take blame for this mm. because they have created the edifice on which all of this stands mm. right and obviously politicians being politicians will keep fueling the fire mm. but politicians too right mm. so i think we really need to reclaim a truly intellectual conversation about all of this mm. and i often find that is missing so some of us are trying to focus on that mm. i agree you know I agree. Uh, instead of this daily quarreling is extremely nefarious such a level yeah. no and i thought that the debate that who does the prime minister follow was a little bizarre i'm not saying that he should you know maybe modi should take a review, like review what what's going on but i i think this this whole debate that acha ye prem follow karta hai the debate about talk about the murder i think 12 hours after gauri lankesh's brutal murder if you very smartly put all the, you know sort of change the narrative to who prime minister modi follows that tells me a little about you that you are really not interested in finding out gauri lankesh's murder why was why is 12 hours after the murder why was the conversation not about catch those killers now hmm. instead of who is following um, um, narendra modi or who does narendra modi follow and half the thing is also that no one was interested in having the um, culprits mm. we don't we don't put the government on the spot uh, law and order is the state government issue why was sidaramaiah not put on the spot and said and in other cases um, uh, maharashtra government also that you know you need first job of any government is to 
save the lives of people mm. then why have the terror why have these murders not been found till now what is this a question that all citizens and journalists should be asking mm. but that doesn't get asked suddenly you know there is this major diversion about and digress you know digression about who does um, prime minister modi follow and what you know it, it just it it takes it into the abstract level and from there it becomes such a you know ideological battle that you cannot win you cannot win <coughs> that battle ever because there are hardened stances on both sides mm. so the best thing would be for mature journalists to tread single path and say we want that we want to nab that um, criminal now mm. but that doesn't happen uh, your anyway. quick view on this indol yeah absolutely i mean i think look uh, my entire point is that in a sense crime has become a real problem in india right mm. yeah and as we go through the sociological churn you will see more and more heinous crime in india because a lot come out yeah. you know it's like i keep comparing it with sabudra mantran right in right. order to get the the next uh, you will first have to churn the ocean and a lot of poison will come out mm. so we are at the phase of indian history at the moment where a lot of the societal poison in our society will all come out as mm. this churning happens Right yeah. now, in order to fix that, in order to counter that, we need extremely clean and clear legal processes. We often don't have that. I mean, look at our lower-level constitutionary. I mean, the entire constitutionary system is broken. Yes. How will you have justice when your entire constitutionary system is broken? Yeah, and your lower courts fix are just that. and your lower courts are completely, completely you know, broken. broken. Oh, it's terrible. But I think, um, uh, Hindol, what you are doing uh, at one level, yes, we have to bring that um, uh, the judicial reform and the police reform, all that we have to keep nagging for that. We have to keep asking for that. But overall, the bigger topic that you were talking about, that um, you know, we need to bring back uh, the narrative to a wider intellectual narrative. I think that's where your work is so important, and that's where your work, like um, you know, when you're reclaiming heroes or when you are talking about being Hindu, I think it's important. And we cannot end this podcast. And I know we are almost towards the end. We cannot end this podcast without your very uh, important book, book about. Swami Vivekananda, um, the modern monk, and you were talking about almost—it's almost as if you sowed the seeds of this book in being Hindu, because you did talk about um, uh, Swami Vivekananda in being Hindu. Mm. I suppose you cannot talk about modern Hinduism without talking about uh, Swami Vivekananda. So the source, uh, the seed, so to speak, was sowed there. But I just want to ask you this, and you can answer me. And while people need to read this book because it's such an important book, it's another book I'm rec- highly recommended. That when you talk about Vivekananda, when you talk about Hinduism. Why talk about Hinduism at all? Why do you need a new framework for talking about Hinduism? Why is the existing and, framework not good enough? And give, give, I'm coming to you, Hindu, in a second. This week, this weekend, or today, especially, it's a very interesting occasion to talk about Swami Vivekananda because tomorrow, eleventh uh, September, happens to be the hundred and twenty fifth anniversary Yay! of when, uh, yeah, when um, Swami Vivekananda spoke to the world par- world council, the world parliament of religions, world, world parliament, parliament of religions, of religions. In, in Chicago. Chicago. In Chicago, I was in Chicago last year and was in the area and stuff. You know, amazing building and so much history there. Yeah. So, uh, and 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 what you talked about uh, Hinduism and Jainism, another uh, bit of thing along with Swami Vivekananda, there was a uh, Jain philosopher called Vichand. Gandhi 
who gave a very interesting insight on Jainism. And he same, was, yes, same yes. Place? In fact, I think Mr. Virchand Gandhi uh, arranged for the travel of him and Swami Vivekananda. Really? If I'm not mistaken. Oh, but yeah, interesting. So, uh, you know, if you talk about Hinduism and Jainism, there's there's another thing right there in 1893. Wow, there's so much to discover. Oh, yes. Very interesting. No, that's really, really interesting. So, look, I mean, here's the thing. I think Vivekananda's interest in the world. You see, at one point, there was this whole thing that supposedly in Hinduism, some conservatives believe that you cannot cross the seven sea, right? Mm -hmm. It would make you impure, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Vivekananda, and the great thing about Hinduism is that whenever any problem has appeared in Hinduism, some reformer has immediately emerged to fix that, right? Mm -hmm. Vivekananda is the ultimate answer to that orthodoxy. Because he truly embraces the world. See, every other person, uh, spiritual leader who's gone out of India after mm. that, mm. including Gandhi mm. at a level, basically follows the footsteps of Vivekananda. He truly showed the way on how to talk to the world about Indian philosophy. Mm. And I am really interested in Vivekananda because I think a lot of people even in America don't know enough about him. And I really want, and through your podcast, I would like to mention this. I really want to, and I'm extremely keen to work on a documentary on Vivekananda in the uh, in the West. And I'm looking for partners and sponsors hmm. make it happen. And I want to also bring the Festival of India to America and have it travel uh, to talk about it in mathematics, in architecture. Uh, India, the, for instance, the great temple architecture. Mm. I'm looking for sponsors and collaborators to try and make this happen. So, to your podcast, anybody who wants to reach out to me mm. uh, can just uh, connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, and have the conversation forward. Give us your uh, give us uh, your uh, Twitter handle, Hindol, so that people can reach out to you. At at Hindol Sengupta. Okay. At Hindol Sen Gupta, you can find him. And Hindol will be tagged when we plug this podcast, podcast as well. So you can just, you know, click on his Anybody idea. who is interested in this project, please contact Hindol. Or if yes. you are having troubles contacting Hindol, uh, contact mine and we will make sure that we connect yeah. you to Hindol. So, uh, yes. but this is a great Another project. Question, the question that you asked about the uh, framework, if, if I could just answer that. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Go ahead. You see, at this point in time, we are in a very interesting phase of human history because a lot of, in a sense, both capitalism and socialism have appeared. Yes. At least in the way that their most vigorous proponents believe they should be propagated, they've actually failed, right? Mm -hmm. So in a sense, and the third pillar of that puzzle, mm -hmm. mobilization, has also failed. So we are now looking at a truly interesting time when the world seeks a new ethical framework on which business, politics, uh, social interaction, communitarianism, all of that would be based on this new ethical framework. And I truly believe Hinduism is important because dharma is or can be one of the most vital ethical frameworks in fact, you know, I would argue it is the only ethical framework which could show us the way to a new world, a new society. 
indeed indeed a oh, beautiful uh, words hindol and uh, you know that's an excellent note on which uh, and I more people should read kautilya's uh, arthashastra <laughs> exactly i think it should be mandatory reading it should if, be if mandatory reading in west and east <laughs> uh, so now i want you to go uh, i want to to go in the second to the recommendations my favorite part of the podcast uh, and you know what was uh, what was going on so just hang on a second hindol i'm coming right to you So uh you know uh, what are your recommendations uh, for this was what's your recommendation for this week the non political recommendation that we all look forward to So I was actually or I have been actually reading this absolutely fantastic book called Confessions of a Born Again Pagan mm-hmm. by Anthony Cronman mm-hmm. Now Anthony Cronman of course as many of you would know served as the dean of the Yale Law School yes. and at the moment divides time between the law school and the directed studies program at Yale mm. and he basically writes about how he reimagined religion and when you read uh, you know him and his his fantastic book mm. you will notice that a lot of things he said about quote unquote paganism essentially and he mentions this is essentially the asiatic imagination of religion wonderful <laughs> So it's a fantastic book and I I highly recommend it. The other book I have to say that I found really really interesting is um mm. uh called American Philosophy by a man called John Carg. Mm. Now John Carg is a professor of philosophy at the University of Massachusetts Lowell mm. and he's written a whole bunch of books on philosophy and he talks about uh you know how he rediscovered philosophy and and you know and, and the idea of what american philosophy really means you see i i want to mention this one point yeah. one truly astonishing thing about the west and especially about america mm. is how they have been able to really consistently do a deep dive rethink and present what is truly theirs to the world mm. it is one thing that india has completely failed it we neither value nor appreciate nor are we able to present our things to the world mm. interesting very interesting and that's something uh, to, my too. Mm, that's something to be inspired from i guess <laughs> and <laughs> go completely completely Hmm. Great recommendations. So, uh, um, uh, Sunanda, before I come to your my recommendation from the philosophical to the mundane, <laughs> uh, my recommendation <laughs> is going to be a TV show this time. Uh, again, my favorite. Uh, they don't pay me, but they should uh, because I recommend a lot of Netflix stuff. <laughs> There is a show on Netflix called Narcos. It's mm-hmm. on the drug empire. The first two seasons were about a Pablo Escobar and Colombia. Now it's about a cartel called the Cali Cartel. So anyone who's uh, interested in the uh, contemporary uh, thing about how the drug problem started in us and it's very interesting and it's interesting. a uh, very good watch okay so. from philosophical to mundane to all heart yes. my recommendation this time is all heart um yesterday uh, we celebrated ashatai's asha bosle's birthday she turned 8 september today's time yeah two days ago it was asha bosle's birthday and people who know me know what a great fan i am of asha bosle not just as a singer but also the person mm. Today I would like to recommend not I, I don't know how many people know Hindol probably knows Varsha Bosle Asha's daughter who was a writer and uh, opinion writer um, uh, I don't know about you Hindol but to my uh, generation when we had all you know sort of started writing 
um internet had come about and all she was a pioneer she was a pioneer she used to write on rediff and she was a voice that could not be cowed down varsha bosle if you ever get a chance read her columns she unfortunately yeah she unfortunately passed away um few years ago uh, but she was a firebrand she never minced words about politics what she wanted to write she used, she was an uh, i mean she was fearless as fearless come but she wrote a very loving tribute to her mother on rediff it's called saturday's child it's still there it's one of the finest finest pieces on asha ji i mean this is from her daughter who's written about and she she obviously knows a side of asha ji that none of us know mm. and growing up in the same household as asha ji's daughter when she was making both ends meet being lata ji's sister being walking out of the bad marriage and then making a huge career saturday's child i would just just google saturday's child um varsha bosle and you will find it it's all there read it and then listen to asha ji's songs i mean it's hard to it's hard to recommend even one song of her but the diva that she is and and phenomenal person i mean she has done more for um women's emancipation gender emancipation than anybody else has so i recommend saturday's two, child two, two, two years ago indolana that's a very interesting story two years ago uh, asha bosley was on one of our farewell tours and i had the privilege of seeing her live in houston um i always wow. wanted to see her but at 82 the way she sang i mean oh my god there were tears in the eyes of the audience yeah and wow happy birthday and, and when she signed off she said that with this uh, as i retire 75 years of indian playback singing on stage will cease because lata asha kishore and rafi the four pillars none of them you will ever hear them live on the stage wow. again yeah and that was just wow yeah, yeah. amazing so that's quite something uh -huh. yeah. anyways um with that on that note uh time to end this week's mind podcast uh, hindol it was great having you i hope you enjoyed being here as well <laughs> as much as we did i, I hope you enjoyed as much as we did jol soon and thank you very much for having me on the show uh, and and you know we have a deal on mind podcast once you come here once we do keep inviting you so yes. <laughs> uh, i would be delighted to return yeah. again uh, absolutely so thank you so much hindol and once again i would recommend everyone to read the sacred sword the legend of guru gobind singh start from there and then move on to the other books uh, that hindol back. has written this is um, hindol is gifted that's all i can say indeed so with that we... thank you very much and before we end one quick prayer to the folks in florida who are about to get hit with hurricane irma they're, they're getting pounded right pounded. now others trust me we know how it feels two yes. weeks ago we were there so fingers crossed uh, you know hopefully everyone's safe yes Okay. Thank you Hindol and we'll be we'll be back next week uh, listeners with our new mind podcast uh, till then from Aditya and Sunanda it's goodbye